Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of Zachary Michael Cole Bernhardt. Dun, dun, dun. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive on in. Eight-year-old Zachary Bernhardt was living with his mom, Leah Hackett, in Clearwater, Florida. And at the time of our story, they were living at the Savannah Trace apartment complex. On the morning of September 11th, 2000, Leah had been unable to sleep. So about two o'clock in the morning, she decided that she was going to go for a short swim and a walk. So she left her apartment with Zachary still sleeping in her bed and decided to go swimming at the apartment pool. An odd time to go swimming? Yeah, especially with your eight-year-old son still in the apartment complex. Are the pools even open then? I feel like they're not, but I guess I don't I don't know. Maybe she could just like jump the fence and still get in. Yeah, I feel like typically it's just like a gate, so I guess it probably wouldn't be that hard. When Leah was done with her swim, she came back to the apartment complex, took a shower, and then noticed that Zachary was missing. How long was she gone? See, that's the thing. The reports vary between 15 minutes and two hours. Pretty big time difference there. Yeah, and they vary based on what day Leah is telling the story. So, it's two in the morning. She decides to go swim because she can't sleep. Comes back and then showers and then notices her kids missing. Is the bathroom in her bedroom? Yes. I'm surprised she didn't... I hate to like try to put any blame on her when we don't know. Well, I don't know where the story is going, but it seems a little out of the norm to not be checking on your kid or to even be leaving your kid at that time of night. I agree. The only thing I can think of is if maybe she was like trying to be super quiet and not turn any lights on because she knew that he was supposed to be sleeping in her bed. Well, I guess too, in theory, if you're like in a towel and wet and you're just trying to get into the bathroom so you don't drip water everywhere. Ironic that you brought up the towel. Yes, I use them when I swim, typically. Well, Leah decided not to use them that night when she swam. Oh, she didn't take a towel with her? No. So was it a planned swim or did she just jump in her... Did she use her bathing suit? I, I don't know. I All I know is that police found it strange she did not take a towel. That does seem a little weird. The other weird thing, she left around 2 o'clock-ish in the morning and dispatch did not receive a call until 4.47 a.m. Oh, so then it would have been more towards the three-hour period. Well, she says anywhere between 15 minutes and two hours. Well, I guess give her like a half hour to shower and stuff. But well, I guess then if she was actually only gone for 15 minutes, one, short swim, two, what she do notice he was missing and then just like bebop around the house for all before she called dispatch? The only thing that I can think of is... Maybe she did get back. Maybe she was gone for that two hours, took a long shower. That could be a theory. Or she got back, noticed that Zachary was missing, and decided to kind of look for him. Because maybe eight-year-old Zachary woke up, noticed mom was gone, wondered where she was, and decided to go look for her on his own. And so he got out and started walking around. So maybe she was kind of looking around for him and didn't want to sound the alarm on the fact that he was missing because police and public would kind of judge her a little bit on the fact that she did leave him alone at two o'clock in the morning so that she could go walk and swim. Which, you know, we are a little bit, but that's just how it goes when someone, a kid goes missing. 
Well, and we try to cover all angles and thoroughly discuss all aspects and possibilities as if that's what actually happened. And so we don't want to specifically say that the mom did it, but we're definitely going to talk about it as if she had. Right. And, you know, we've talked about this many times in other cases where we're covering children going missing. Every parent and kid and family dynamic is a little different. I don't know their circumstances, but some families, you know, they don't think it's that weird to leave their eight-year-old, 10-year-old kids alone. I think a lot of it, too, depends on the maturity of the kid. And maybe this was something that was normal and not, you know, a weird thing for them. I agree. It really does depend on the maturity. And it was 2000. So things have definitely changed since then. I hate to say it, but the world's gotten a lot worse since then. And we see a lot more crime and terrible things happening to people. The more like technology advances and all of this stuff. So maybe into the 2000s, they weren't, I hate to say, as concerned that like all these terrible things were happening or as aware of terrible things because they didn't have the media constantly mentioning, they didn't have a billion podcasts about crime, constantly talking about all the awful things that happen in the world and bringing light to situations like this. They were all kind of just playing it by ear. Did they find any evidence or anything? So police showed up shortly after Leah had called dispatch they did not find or any signs of a struggle, no indication that any of his things were missing, and no sign of a break-in. There was some sort of evidence found, but I am unable to find exactly what evidence there was found. I know that there was some sort of DNA evidence found as well, and that'll come back in later on when I discuss a possible suspect. So if there's no break-in and no signs of a struggle, it's really still not looking good for the mom. Correct. Well, I will say that when Leah decided to go on this walk and spontaneous swim, she did leave the doors unlocked. So it wouldn't have had to be a break-in. It would have had to be a walk-in. You would still think there would be some type of a struggle. Like, it cannot be that easy to abduct an eight-year-old boy. Or girls, it doesn't really matter. Eight years old, they're substantial. I think it would take some level of either subduing them and making them unconscious or being somebody that he knew and felt comfortable with going. I definitely lean towards maybe it was someone who he knew that he would have went with. To me, it seems like, yeah, it would be easy if someone's sleeping to like knock them unconscious. But I feel like there would be some type of evidence. I mean, but obviously there's other ways. You know, we just covered a case not too long ago where the abductor would use like chloroform. I wonder what that DNA evidence that they found is because if that's like blood or hair or something from the abductor then that points to a whole different scenario i agree and like i said i cannot find anywhere where police have announced what dna evidence was found it does not surprise me that the police would hold that information back so with zachary missing police do everything that they can to search for him to either find him alive somewhere or to at least find some sort of remains Four days after he disappeared, officers and firefighters all met together at a baseball complex and then walked through nearly 600 acres of woods, dense brush, mangroves, and the shore in order to see if they could find any sort of evidence about Zachary. Florida always seemed like such a terrible place for someone to go missing in because there's so many different geological features there. You got swamps, you got forests, you got the ocean, you got rivers. Like, it seems like There are a lot of places where you could hide something or someone never to be found again. I agree. And so police did everything they could to try to find him. I mean, they had 
people walking through all of this. They had people on boats. They had people in helicopters. And unfortunately, they were not able to find any sign of Zachary at all. Abby, can you guess the first person that they investigated? I'm going to go with the mom. That's a really good guess. And yes, they investigated Leah. They felt like Leah either was involved or at least knew more than she was admitting to. So while they didn't officially make her a suspect, she was a person of interest in this case, which makes sense as the mother and the last person to see your son. Right. I mean, the circumstances are weird. Maybe something happened. Maybe it was an accident. When they look into her, what were their theories on her motive? So there were a couple. One was the fact that she had moved over... 11 times in the last 14 years, which is kind of a lot. She just kind of bebopped around. And at the time of the disappearance, she was facing eviction from her apartment. And police and public felt like this may have been a stressor for her and that money kind of drove her to get rid of her son. Money is typically the motive in cases. I would assume she would have got some type of insurance money. I actually don't know if they would get the insurance money because the body wasn't found. But I know like eventually he would legally be declared dead if he was not found. And maybe at that point she would get the insurance money. I'm not 100% sure how that works. But it would be one less mouth to feed, one less person to clothe, just a little less money. And I, I think it's ridiculous if that's what she did just to save a few dollars here and there. But I don't know. I do think, and I'm not sure in all cases, obviously I don't know too much about insurance payouts but i think you can go ahead and just declare someone legally dead if they're missing fairly quickly i've heard about that in some cases i mean if they do that that would obviously close the missing persons case though it is actually 10 years after somebody's disappearance that a motion to declare them legally dead can be filed but it has to be 20 years before they can just be declared legally dead the mystery has been solved Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Another thing with Leah that made police suspicious was the fact that her story changed on how long she had been out. The fact that she didn't take a towel with her when she went swimming and the fact that she took a shower before noticing that her son was missing also seems weird that you'd leave the doors unlocked that's yes that's another thing and as if we didn't have enough suspicions against leah neighbors also came forward and reported that during the night leah's car moved spaces what if though and i don't know what her count of her story was but what if the her car moved because she got in there and drove around the complex looking for zachary that's possible it was reported though that the neighbors that said that they saw her car move was when she claimed that she was at the house. And maybe it was just a super stressful moment and she got all of her times messed up. I don't know. Another thing that I want to point out that kind of leads to maybe Leah knowing more than what she admitted to, or maybe even another theory that we're going to look at, which is the possibility that Zachary left on his own. So 
like I said, Leah had moved around at least 11 times in the last 14 years. And Zachary had actually seen at some point in time in one of the places they were living, Zachary had seen somebody attack Leah. Supposedly, it was one of her friends. This part I kind of theorized on. And Abby, give me your opinion. I kind of thought about, I mean, maybe part of the reason she moved around was whoever had attacked her, if this person was following her and trying to, like, find her, if he ended up finding her and decided to take it out on her son. If you're moving around a lot and you have, you know, somebody aggressive in your past who is physical, it's definitely, if you look at controlling significant others and that type of situation, I can see that being a scenario. I wonder, too, though, she moved around a bit because they had money issues. And that's possible as well. I just, like I said, thought of another theory that maybe it was possibly she was trying to run away from somebody. The person that attacked her wasn't his father, was it? Was Zachary's father involved in his life? So I I don't think it was Zachary's father, but Zachary may not have known because Zachary never knew his dad. He was never involved in his life. And his father actually claimed to not know that he even had a child with Leah. And so police had talked to him, but he was never actually investigated or believed to be any part of the disappearance in any way. So like I said, we're going to kind of discuss the possibility that Zach went away on his own. This is kind of a theory that you can spin in a lot of ways. So it's possible Zach, for whatever reason, decided to run away at eight years old. It is weird, though, that he didn't take any of his stuff with him and that he was never seen again. But it's also possible that he got up in the middle of the night, noticed mom was missing, and decided to go look for her. And then something bad possibly happened after that. Yeah, and then unfortunately something happened. Like a wrong place, wrong time. Maybe he got lost. Maybe, I don't know. There, There's so many ways that you can kind of spin that. Police don't actually believe that he left on his own. They thought it would be weird because he didn't even have a working bike. So police kind of thought it would be strange for him to just up and leave. I think it would be more likely if it was he left the apartment on his own, it would be that he left to go find mom. Yeah, I can't buy into an eight-year-old just being like, all right, I'm out, unless they're in a situation that's really bad. And it doesn't sound like that was reported. No, it wasn't reported. I mean, teachers all said that he was a good student and family all said that the mom was great and she adored her son he excelled in school and all of his neighbors and all the people at the school said that he was mild-mannered and he was smart and it's not signs of somebody who's going through a really terrible situation i'm gonna go ahead and guess that the apartment complex didn't have any cameras so i didn't actually find anything about cameras but i would assume that if there were cameras in the direction of the apartment complex then they would have checked them Yeah, what I was thinking with that was, like, if there were cameras by the pool that they could have corroborated that Leah was there. I would hope that the police did their due diligence and checked the cameras, but I did not find anything about cameras in my research. The only other person that the police ever investigated other than Leah was a man named Kevin Jailbert. He actually lived really close to Zachary's house and had told an acquaintance that he was a child murderer and was preparing to find another victim in early 2001. And this acquaintance decided to bring it to the authorities' attention, and they told the police what Kevin had been saying. And at this point, police started to track Kevin's movements. 
So police officers, like I said, tracking his movements, but they also had some undercover officers that were interacting with Kevin. And Kevin at one point tried to solicit an undercover officer in September of 2001 for assistance in a child abduction, rape, and murder. Yikes. Yes. Luckily, he tried to get an officer to do this with him. And the officer was like, haha, buddy, no, and arrested him. And so Kevin was actually then sentenced to 40 years in prison for this. I mean, don't get me wrong. Thank goodness. But I'm surprised that that 40 year sentence for a crime he didn't actually commit. Yeah, I think the 40 years came from the fact that he then claimed to have abducted and raped over a thousand children and killed five. Kind of made that 40 year sentence a little bit more needed uh yep yep that'll that'll do it Mm -hmm. his sister did say that he's a chronic liar and liked to get attention so he may have been exaggerating i would like to think that somebody could not prey on a thousand children and not get caught so i really hope that number is an exaggeration i mean i hope that it's at least an exaggeration but i don't think that he would just say that he had done that and brag about it if he hadn't done it before at least once right it there's something obviously going on there at one point in time kevin ended up leading the undercover police officer to zachary's apartment building and telling him that he had kidnapped a child from there suspicious yeah except for the fact that he pointed out the wrong apartment and described zachary's clothing incorrectly i can imagine that it's a possibility to mix up the apartments though I think so. It could also be if he really had abducted over a thousand children, as sad as it is, he could have disassociated the kids with who they were and just confused it all and not had any feelings towards it. The DNA samples that I said had been collected by police also did not match Kevin. The thing is with that, like you see this in so many cases, it's all this circumstantial stuff and then DNA doesn't match. It's like so... I mean, obviously, it depends on what the DNA is that they collected, but it's like that that seems pretty concrete. I I 100% agree. They also, when Kevin had been confronted about this, he denied that he had ever abducted Zachary, but police gave him a polygraph. And depending on your belief in that, he did fail the polygraph about being involved in the case. Suggesting that he is involved. Yes. I mean, polygraphs, though, there's a reason they're not admissible in court. I I know. That's why it's like, depending on what you believe. Another thing that really just hammers in the fact that Kevin is just a really sucky person, they found child pornography websites on his home computer. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It sounds like he's a pretty disturbed individual. Yes. He also had visited a nearby landfill approximately two weeks after Zachary's disappearance. Did they check out the landfill? I realize... That's an extensive search, but... I'm assuming they at least looked into it because they knew that he had been there. And, like, let's be honest, who just goes and visits a landfill? Nobody. Unless you're doing suspicious things. However, I bet you could find a lot of kind of cool stuff there. Then one more not great thing about Kevin, as if we didn't already dislike him enough, he had also been considered a suspect in a child abuse case in Florida shortly before 2000. He had not been charged for the case but he was a suspect in it as well which kind of makes you wonder when a guy's a suspect in multiple different cases right like something's up to this day authorities have not been able to rule out 
Kevin's involvement in the case. And so they still consider him a suspect, but they have not been able to charge him officially with it either because it is a lot of circumstantial evidence and not a whole lot of concrete. It's always so interesting to me that somebody can confess to a crime and it's still like not enough. And I I think the issue with that is there are people in prison that are like, I did that and confessing to crimes when they absolutely did not. And I just think it's absolutely absurd and insane that people do that. But I think that that's part of the reason that they can't just... Also, if he was as not in his right mind as his sister claimed, then it might have been an insanity plea that they kind of based it on. He is still in prison, though, at this time. He just has not been charged with the Zachary Bernhardt case. About two years later, in January of 2002... A five-year-old boy was also kidnapped from the same apartment complex that Zachary had disappeared from. Was Kevin in jail at this point? Yes, he was. Was there any evidence or did they find anything out from that one? They actually found the boy. Alive? Yes. Oh. He had survived and had been found by somebody in a vehicle in a trash bin in Bushnell, which was about 80 miles away from the apartment complex. So had he been kidnapped or... Yeah, so he said that his abductor had lured him into a vehicle by promising him ice cream. Then he said they drove around for about 10 hours before this guy dropped him off in a trash bin. Did he do anything to him? He just, he just abducted him and dropped him in a trash bin? I need, I need details. What else happened? Because it seems weird. So it was believed that the five-year-old boy had been sexually assaulted by the person that had kidnapped him. Not many of the details were disclosed because he was so young. Was he able to give a description or anything? Yes. He said that a white man with stringy hair had taken him. So probably a little bit longer unwashed, I would assume. I'm assuming that's what he meant. But when police looked in to see if they could link the two cases, they didn't find any sort of connection other than the fact that they had disappeared from the same apartment complex. Which it could be a coincidence if it's like a high crime area. The only possible sighting of Zachary since 2000 was in August of 2001 when a photo was found just outside of Boulder, Colorado in the parking lot of a sporting goods store. This photo showed a picture of a young boy who appeared to be tied up in a wooded area. And this photo was sent to police departments around the entire country. When Police that were investigating Zachary's case first received it. They thought that the boy had very similar features to Zachary. And so they took the photo to his grandmother and his aunt to look at the pictures. But the family said it was not Zachary based on looking at it. I mean, that seems pretty conclusive that the family is saying this is not him. I agree, but that's the only possible sighting that there's ever been of him. And it has now been over 20 years since he went missing. To kind of sum everything up... Zachary, like I said, has not been seen or heard from since he went missing on September 11th, 2000. And police believe that whoever had abducted Zachary had been watching him prior to the abduction. And they saw this as the opportunity when his mom just happened to leave the house. But there's also that possibility that his mom did do something to him. I do think it's weird, though, if there was somebody watching him that they just happened to know that his mom would be gone in the middle of the night that evening. I don't know if it was a typical thing for them or if they just got lucky and happened to be watching him in the middle of the night. I definitely think it's possible if someone was following and kind of stalking them and then saw the mom step out and took that opportunity. Yeah. So now in October of 2020, what we know about Leah is she is 
actually moved and is living in Hawaii and has changed her last name. Which makes sense. You know, she obviously has gotten a lot of criticism, I would assume, and, you know, speculation thrown at her. I have heard a thing to add to that criticism, and I apologize. I'm not trying to make it sound like I think Leo is responsible because I don't necessarily think that at all. You know, you just, you hear these details and it makes you wonder, but you always hear that thing about psychologically you would want to stay in the area where your kid or someone you know went missing in case they were able to, I don't know, escape or come back that way they could find you. You would think. The other weird thing is Leah doesn't really help with the investigation anymore. She's not really actively looking for her son. Whereas the grandparents and the aunts are. Other people in the family are looking for him still. And I mean, there is a certain part where you do have to move on. But also when your son is mysteriously abducted, how do you move on from that? Right. And like, obviously, neither you or I can imagine what it is like to try and cope with something like that. And everybody, you know, handles things differently. And we've seen this before. I mean, in other cases where a parent or someone close to a person that went missing just, you know, checks out and like moves on, which can look suspicious to some. But to others, maybe it's just acceptance. So Zachary's missing person case is still open to this day. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement has him listed as one of seven children missing and in danger and as the longest running Amber Alert in the state. According to the FBI's National Crime Information Center database, of the more than 87,000 active missing persons records as of the end of 2019, minors actually made up 35% of the records, which is just insane to me that 35% of 87,000 missing persons is children. Seems like such a high number. At the time of his disappearance, Zachary was four foot six inches tall, weighed about 60 pounds. He was wearing a t-shirt and boxers. He was born on December 18th, 1991. So he would be about 28, almost 29 at the time of this recording. He was a Caucasian male with blonde hair and blue eyes. He had scars under his chin and between his eyes on the bridge of his nose and on the right side of his upper lip. His nickname is Zach, and some agencies may refer to him as Zachary Michael Bernhardt or as Zachary Michael Cole Bernhardt. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Zachary Bernhardt, you can contact the Clearwater Police Department at 727-562-4422. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.